0: Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court and CPS issues. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and today I have a very unique guest. Her name is Lisa Johnson. Lisa is a state-certified domestic violence advocate in her seventh year and counting in the court system. She has represented herself successfully on both the trial and appellate court levels through dozens of court appearances. And her case was just published in the Connecticut Law Journal, March 23, 2021, to be used as legal precedent. She also recently testified before the Connecticut Judiciary Committee to support Jennifer's Law, which seeks to expand the definition of domestic violence in the courts to include coercive control. She has saved literally hundreds of thousands of dollars representing herself in court and has been told by experts that her success is due to her courageous refusal to quit and ability to access an invaluable support network a former high school english teacher and backpacker officiando in europe lisa's current life now also includes two parenting her two practically adult kids, chairing her local library's book sale for over 16 years, running an online luxury fashion business and being on the go with her partner, Chris, the male half of Been There, got out. She also enjoys reading, tag sailing, writing, hip hop dancing, kickboxing and all kinds of creative projects like watercolors and her horseshoe crab necklaces we're going to talk about. So we're going to have a great, great conversation conversation so how are you doing <laughs> i'm good i'm good so you know how has everything been going for you you've got you've gotten uh to the appellate level and how has that how's that been
1: well um i mean you know i can't say it's fun <laughs> <laughs> no no it never is no no it's not fun it is very frustrating but one of the interesting things about being stuck in the legal system for you know now in my 7th year is that there have been triumphant moments and mm-hmm. you know that's that's what people have to realize when you're stuck in it it's it's awful but as you you know for being for being in this long there are so many things that you learn along the way that you always say ah if i had known i mean the whole thing not just the legal process if i had known you know then what i know now wow and Mm -hmm. and chris my partner with been there got out and i always say you know the amount of time money and energy we could have saved if we know you know known what we know now it's crazy immeasurable
0: Right now, like before you had an attorney representing you?
1: Yes. So I did, you know, I, I did start the divorce. Well, you know, I was married for almost 18 years and in the relationship for 20. So it was almost half my life at the time. And um, it wasn't like the typical uh, abusive relationship. He was more of a covert type. So, you know, there weren't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of fights. He basically had a double life. So um the last couple of years in the marriage, that's when I discovered the double life and how things had been going actually for 20 years that I didn't know about. And it took a while to make the decision to leave. And so, um, you know, having two kids, People, you can't just walk out like well, people who know nothing about this kind of thing say, well, why didn't you just leave? Well, because uh, I have a business. I'm a member of this community. I'm very settled here. You know, my kids are too. It's, it's, there are so many things involved when first just getting out of a, a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, plus coming to terms with that, it's even a toxic relationship when met much of the abuse had been hidden for so long. So, um, I did a lot of planning. It took about two years, and then I did get a divorce attorney on the recommendation of a lawyer friend of mine who was not a divorce attorney. Hmm. And that's something that you know we we always recommend to people is if you can, you know, you need to find someone that really specializes in your type of case. And at the time, I had no idea that mine was you know dealing with domestic violence. But the lawyer that I chose was very um, savvy. And during the first consult, within half an hour, he said, you're gonna have a difficult case. Yours is gonna take about a year. And I was like, how do you know that? And that's a whole other topic to talk about. Um, but it did take a year. But I, my lawyer um, is a wonderful human being. He is just very emotionally sensitive and was an ally the whole time. But in some ways he wasn't equipped to deal with what we were getting from the other side. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, he said that, that there's usually one case a year that keeps him up in the middle of the night. And that year it was my case.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. was that, um, due to, you know, in your marriage you had emotional abuse as well as, um, well control issues with a, with a narcissist.
1: Well, you know, I don't like to say the labels cuz we're not we're not you know, but from my from my own research I would say in the sociopath covert narcissist range. So, with the covert types, you know, like it what yeah, it definitely was emotional, it definitely was financial, it was very subtle. Um but I didn't have a lot of the more overt stuff like he wasn't able to isolate i mean in the last couple of years yeah but he didn't isolate me from a support network you know i was always really involved in the community um and i had a a, a large amount of independence so so my case was a bit different but yes definitely finance i didn't even know that these types of abuse existed and that's why it took me a year and a nine months to to actually get help and get directed to a domestic violence center because There was only a little bit of physical abuse, which, of course, I downplayed as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I I really wasn't sure what I was dealing with.
0: When you come to that realization, you know, it's so hard to tell your kids that, you know, you're going to get a divorce and we're out of here. And um, you've got to have a lot of emotional support from your family. Did you have good support systems?
1: That's a really good question because I actually did not tell anybody for the last couple of years of my marriage. I told actually, I told three friends um, who had no experience with any of this and I think you know tried to give good advice, but it really uh, ended up not being good advice. It wasn't their fault at all, it's that I really should have had expert support, which I don't feel family members and friends um, can can really provide without having experience, especially in the insidious nature of emotional abuse and financial abuse and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, all right, so you asked about, let's see, you, there was like a few things in there that I remember, like about telling the kids about the, the divorce mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So like I said, it, before I knew that I was gonna get a divorce, there were some things that came out in those last couple of years in the marriage. Mm -hmm. And the first thing is um, that he had been having an online affair. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize, but that that had been going on probably for most of the marriage, uh, you know, for the, it definitely since, since our honeymoon and before that. So these affairs had been going on for a long time. And so, but I found out about this particular one And it was with a very young person, um, which was shocking. And the first conversation we had about, you know, when I discovered it, of course, he lied and made excuses. But I had such a sick feeling in my stomach that that was the moment, you know, the conversations with him where he revealed that, you know, he was over 50 at the time. He claimed this person was in her 20s, which alone to me is like crazy but i used to be a high school english teacher and i saw a picture of this person and i was like that looks like one of my students so if you're in your 50s and you actually believe that this person that you've never met who lives in europe you believe and wants to is in love with you and you're in love with her like you are so completely delusional that this marriage is over but i did agree to go to counseling because i thought of my kids first. I thought I want them to have an intact family. You know, there's no, I don't want to do anything to break up this family. So we wasted a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of my energy in mm-hmm. therapists that cause more damage, which is a whole other conversation, mm-hmm. more damage um, than they should have. And we always tell our people that it is going to therapy with an abusive person is is not helpful, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And it was literally the number one thing I learned. (laughs) The first thing I learned in the first day of my domestic violence advocacy training is you never go to therapy with an abusive person and you never recommend it. So um, yeah, so that didn't work out. Um, Bring me back to the original question (laughs) because I probably went on a tangent. But oh, about telling the kids. Sorry. So one thing that my divorce attorney did say before I think I, or somebody told me before I actually like told the kids and went full force with like, Mm -hmm. yes, we're going to do it, is they said, um, go to Al-Anon, which is actually, you know, there's AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, for Mm -hmm. alcoholics who are trying to get sober. But Al-Anon is a group that was created originally for the spouses, actually for the wives years ago, maybe like 100 years ago, for the wives of alcoholic men. Um, And it started informally, I think, when they were waiting for their husbands who were in AA meetings outside of these rooms and they started talking to each other about the issues that they were facing. And Al-Anon is, you know, free. It's all over America. I I don't know if it exists all over the world, but it basically teaches people who who love or are involved with or have a family member who's an alcoholic or someone else with an addiction or a personality disorder to emotionally detach and realize that they don't have control over someone else's life and they have to stop you know immersing themselves in like what can i do to make it better that's mm-hmm. sort of the, the basic gist of it so i went i started like the, the literally like two days after i finally got my ex to finally move out of our house i went to a meeting and i was just like you know i don't know how i'm going to get to this point and i was cri- i'm not a crier well i, I was during this marriage yeah. right. i'm not generally a crier but i cried during that meeting and i asked people in the meeting, like, how am I going to tell my kids? Like, what am I going to tell my kids? So your Mm -hmm. question, you know, that we're getting a divorce and that he's an addict or what do I do? And I got some of the best advice ever. It was so hard, but they said, what you need to do. And I, again, I didn't know what a narcissist was. I didn't know what abuse was, but they said, you need to make sure to tell your kids the truth because what's going to happen is if you don't tell the the kids the truth about the divorce and exactly why it's happening, he is going to paint you as the bad person who's breaking (laughs) the family. And he's going to say that you're the one who won't let him come back. And he's going to play the victim. I don't know how they knew, but that was like the best advice. And so shortly after that, you know, uh, I told the kids to try, I tried to have him there. He didn't want to tell them because he didn't want to say what was happening with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had said to him before we even told the kids, you know, you're going to have to think about what your kids are going to think about you for your behavior. That's, that's between you and the kids. It has nothing to do with me, but Mm -hmm. you know, what kind of role model are you as their parent and as a human being for, for your behavior? And he never, you know, like typical abusive people, they don't think about the consequences. Mm-mm. So um, we told the kids. Well, he, he tried to walk out, and I said, "You know, I'm going to tell the kids the truth." He said, "I don't think that's a good idea." And I said, "But and keep in mind, my kids were teenagers—a mm-hmm. tween and a teen—so they were not young children. They were perfectly capable of understanding what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I said, "I'm telling them the truth. You don't want me to tell them the truth with you not here. So, you know, I'm giving you the opportunity." So he stayed my son was sitting there as we were having this conversation as he was trying to get out of it and my son said i want to know the truth and said it my son immediately started screaming my daughter was downstairs he said my daughter needs to know what's going on too he ran down told you know it was like crazy my ex-husband was furious that you know again it was the beginning of exposure and um and that really changed everything and it was like one of the worst nights of my life you know seeing my kids pain and confusion because like i said we didn't have a lot of fighting there wasn't a lot of strife and so it was a shock i think Mm -hmm. I, i mean they knew more than i think i thought they knew but they were still like devastated it was during like easter vacation and you know i had like ran the next day to our local kids in crisis to get you know um therapist recommendations and all kinds of things and it was so hard but i never regret doing that because it made things so much easier. And it also started them down the path of seeing their father for what he is without, I didn't have to tell them, you know, they could, they could deal with him themselves. And, you know, at this point, they've been no contact for for years, which has been their choice. And that all has to do with his own behavior. You know, he's like, like many of these people, he likes to play the victim and blame others, but it's all, on him and, you know, his relationship with the kids, it's his relationship with the kids.
0: So that was a long answer
1: to that question. <laughs>
0: well, no, that was excellent. People need to know this because when you tell your children you're going through divorce, you, you know, they tell you in court, you know, don't badmouth the other parent. And you don't know how to explain it to them, you know, um, which I really didn't. I just said, we're moving into another house. (laughs) So, I mean, we just left it at that. And, but we, we were co-parenting very well. Every situation's different, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, but other than that, you know, everyone handles things differently, but you did it well because you had to tell them the truth.
1: Right. I mean, and they were too old to, 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 you know, to not explain the situation. Plus their, their nature is they, they like details. They're like me, they want to know like what's happening right um but it was you know it was heartbreaking and devastating but there was no avoiding that because again they they couldn't control you know their father's behavior and they were clearly able to understand why i made the decision to proceed with the divorce Mm -hmm. plus at that time we had already been in therapy for you know like a year plus we had been to multiple therapists Mm -hmm. Um, and nothing had worked. And so I was able to say, I, you know, I tried and, you know, we tried to work through things and there's nothing else we can do.
0: Mm -hmm. I think I I found that these therapists really don't know what they're doing with this.
1: No, no. And the therapist that we first went to, um, you know, she had on paper, she looked amazing. She's like professor at Columbia, all those kinds of awards and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she had been his own therapist for like twenty years, like twenty years before that. so it really you know looking back like she shouldn't have seen us as a couple when her loyalty was to him because as soon as we, we went in there, she and I can't stand this word, but I, like it triggers me she told me I needed to shelve my feelings regarding his infidelity. We needed to talk about why he was so unhappy in the marriage and devote all our time to that it was. It was excruciating. And I kept feeling like, this is crazy. Like, this doesn't feel like, what What about me? And it was like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. And exactly what a narcissist loves. All the attention on him. What, you know, what, and again, blaming me. So that was, mm-hmm. that was really bad.
0: Right. Because it's never them. You're the one with the problem.
1: Oh, yeah. What can I do better? So I've already blaming myself for years. Like, what can I do better to satisfy this insatiable black hole, and the therapist is colluding with him. What can you do better? Why wasn't he happy with you? Why would he do such a thing? It was it was outrageous. Yeah, it's
0: just no help, um, unless you find a really good one that, you know, perhaps even, you know, is aware of the personality disorders,
1: aware of what, how the court system works. Well, um, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the fact that you mentioned that the second one we went to mm-hmm. was a relationship specialist. She immediately diagnosed him with a sex addiction and, a, you know, por- por- pornography addiction, like immediately knew it. And I was like, yes. But like most of these people, he was like, oh, she doesn't like me. She doesn't know what she's doing. And we just saw her a few times, and she finally said to him, you know what? I think this is so extreme that you need to check yourself to inpatient, like for a month. Like th- this is like really, I mean, the delusion was like beyond. Mm-hmm. So he of course fired her because he said, she doesn't like me and she's going to find it. She probably gets some kind of financial kickback. You know, there's no, so we fi- he fired her. So then, you know, I was, I was at my end at that. I had been at my end for so long. And I just agreed to keep trying therapy. Then we went to a third therapist who was a specialist in sex addiction. She He tried to manipulate her. He tried to, um, you know, have him talk privately to him. He said, I don't want to hurt Lisa's feelings. I need to explain the situation. She was like, absolutely not. We're not playing that game. We're doing everything together with the two of you. And then with that one, he also fired her because he claimed that she didn't like him. Now, she was really, she was really, she didn't, nobody ever said the word narcissist to me, but she did tell me in the parking lot that he was completely delusional. And she did say to him straight out, you know, you need to acknowledge that the fact that you're in your fifties and this person who you claim is the love of your life, you've never met, it's all about money. You're American. She's living God knows where, like you, you have to like get over yourself and stop believing this fantasy it's just not true like here's your wife she's trying to save the marriage he couldn't do it so that was the end for me I was just like I got finally validation from the last couple of therapists and we're done
0: it's so good to be done
1: yeah well I wasn't done because like you said then there's the courts. yes
0: yeah then that, <laughs> but that's part one yeah <laughs> Yeah, and then with the courts, everything gets dragged out, and I don't know if you experienced a lot of continuances.
1: Are you kidding me? Of course, I- <laughs> we have hundreds of docket motions. I was just, just this morning on our Instagram feed, uh, somebody was saying something about de- COVID delays, not and you know, all the, my, my, husband's ex or something is you know now is delayed three more months and i was like this is a strategy they use i think i looked at my own case just in connecticut cuz i'm dealing with two states now and there was like 14 continuances filed by one of his attorneys within like a year and a half i mean they always they, there are calculated strategies that they they use in court for sure
0: and, and i find that one the most annoying you know, cause it's like a hurry up and wait. Oh, hurry up oh, and yeah. wait. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. And it costs a ton of money because unless you're representing yourself, but then it costs you time and time away from your, your work, which is, it was, it was for me, but it was way less than legal fees because, mm-hmm. you know, during the divorce, which took a year and about a hundred thousand dollars, even with my lovely human being of an attorney, he said, Lisa, your ex is not going to comply with orders he, he i mean the day of the divorce he was literally standing up with his lawyer and protesting the divorce it took that long to get into court and then they were going we don't agree i mean it just it, so my lawyers like let's just let's just do what we can and come back for what's called the educational support order in our state which is basically like the college stuff he mm-hmm. said, you're going to have to go back and he's not going to obey the orders, but do what you can on your own and document everything. Already start preparing for your case, which was such excellent advice. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, for years I was building up like all my email, everything I knew had a gray rock very well. That's a whole other topic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I basically did everything knowing that a judge would be looking at it years later. And that's, that's what happened.
0: Right. Cause you have, you have to build a court record. You have to keep documenting and even these motions, everything is a record. That's, that's right. And there's certain words, you, you know,
1: you don't want to, because courts don't want labels. They mm-hmm. want patterns of behavior.
0: Right. Definitely. And when you get to the appellate level, you know, what had happened, what happened to you when you got to the appellate level?
1: Oh, okay. So um, now, well, we say appellate, so I'm just going to pronounce appellate. it. Appellate, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, no, it's okay. I just say it differently. I didn't, um, so we, he was the one that appealed. He appealed four times. And his thing was, he, he just didn't agree with any of the decisions. So uh-huh. luckily for me, you know, going back to the delays and continuances, when I took him back to court only for the college stuff, i I used a volunteer lawyer service at the court where you could talk for like 20 minutes and and one of the lawyers said you know what you've got a fraud case here so you need to reopen alimony and child support and so she's like do it you know my lawyer had said don't just go back for that but since i had to go back anyway do it all at once Mm -hmm. reopen alimony child support and do the educational support order and i did and i won everything now it took nine times before the same judge going in, he hadn't done the what's called discovery. Mm-hmm. So I had said, like, let's see all the records. And he he just wouldn't answer. And the judge kept saying, come back again. Now, luckily, I didn't have to pay an attorney because at that point, I was pro se. I was doing what my lawyer said. He said, go back yourself. Try and do it yourself. And then call, you know, an attorney if you need help. I think he didn't want, you know, even though we like each other, he didn't want to deal with my case anymore because it was right. giving Um, you know he saw he doesn't like high conflict cases some Mm -hmm. lawyers do because they make a ton of money but Mm -hmm. but he didn't like it so um so I did what I could and just those nine hearings where he had an attorney or nine court appearances he was paying an attorney because they he had to show up so she the attorneys were arguing you know saying oh he doesn't have this document that blah blah and I'm like all right so they kept giving him chances and it was so frustrating. Because at the time, I didn't realize that's how the system worked. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, he was paying legal fees. And at that point, mm-hmm. I wasn't. I just had to take time off from work. But anyway, the appellate level. So he, he basically appealed all of the court decisions, which he didn't agree with, which were all of them, because I won everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kept, you know, his lawyer was not very uh, good. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the benefits of being pro se, if you know what you're doing and you really, you know, you really do need to know what you're doing because you can mess up that ba- badly if you don't, but um, you know your case better than anybody mm-hmm. because it's your only case. When you're hiring an attorney to do it, they usually have many other cases and they cannot spend the attention on your case that you can. I know the details of my case. I have, you know, been doing this for years. I know orders I know dates I can quote stuff you know I remember and I I have a good memory for things like that Mm -hmm. so that's really really helped me I think from having been a high school English English teacher even though by nature in the past I've been shy I can present well and I can be very organized and polished in the in the courtroom Mm
0: -hmm. yeah most definitely um You know, even in the appellate level, I can't even believe I pronounced that wrong. (laughs) Appellate, appellate. Appellate, appellate. And I know that.
1: This is terrible. No, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? That's because you haven't had to go to the appellate level. So that's good. Yet. (laughs) I know. Hopefully not. But it's okay. It's okay. I want to be appellate level too. It's okay. You know,
0: uh, people sometimes get so frustrated. They just want to give up
1: because it's always, they always get frustrated. Mm -hmm. Every person that I spoke to in my district in Connecticut, when I had to go to court, they knew me because they saw the security guards, the bailiffs, the clerks. They, I think they'd be like, Oh my God, here she is again. But the, but the security guards were so nice in particular. Mm -hmm. And they would say to me, don't give up. The sheriff in New York, when I started talking you know, some of these people are really kind and, and they can be very encouraging. And they were the ones that said to me, this is what these guys do. And it's not just guys, but a lot of guys do it. They, and I say to our, our people too, they want to wear you down, wear you out and bleed you dry. Mm -hmm. And so this is how they do it. All these continuances, all this coming back again and again, where you keep thinking, I'm going to have my day in court. You know, the judge is going to see that what I'm saying is right. And I'll get justice. It doesn't happen. It just never happens. I've never heard of that happening Mm -hmm. except in the movies. So you have to understand what you're dealing with and just go back and look at it as a learning experience. And what am I going to learn this time and that time? And if you get something during one hearing, it's like, wow, that's amazing. And it's, I can't even explain the triumph I have felt. Mm -hmm. I still have not gotten paid. It's been years. My orders are from 2018. We're in 2021. I haven't gotten paid. I've gone back like, I think like 80. No, it's like, it's like 80 ish times in the last Few years just to get those orders and to try to get them enforced. But still, I have had several triumphs, and they're personal triumphs. And especially, you know, you don't think you have the strength to deal with something like this, but what choice do you have? You know, is it better to stay in a horrible situation and expose your kids to that and damage everyone and risk your life? Or is it better to at least try? get out and there are so many resources available and there's so much kindness you know i've met so many kind people where i least expected it so it i think it's a real test of your personal strength and resilience that you can't even believe you know plus i met the love of my life but that's a whole other story
0: (laughs) well that's great though i mean people need to know that you have to be persistent Yeah. You you have to keep coming back and coming back. And that wears them down, too. Right.
1: And we're talking about court. We're not talking about love.
0: Right. We're talking about court. (laughs) Appellate court. Um, (laughs) You just keep going back and coming back. And, And once they and the judges see that, oh, this person keeps coming back. There must be something to this case. Yeah. Why would you be coming back?
1: Yeah. So with the judges in Connecticut, they married, it's called I well, that's the word I use. I don't know if they use it, but they married a judge to our case. This one this one woman, she was the same one that made us come back nine times when he didn't comply with discovery and it was driving me crazy. She also took the full four months to make decisions. She didn't make any decision. It was it's horrible. And when you have so many issues, you know, it, it it's it's really terrible. So I felt like beyond frustrated you know and and people would say well why don't you ask for a different judge the thing was because the case was so involved she did know even though she'd forget a lot of things you know i think she knew the case better than anybody else and the time it would take to re-explain which i have had to do in new york state um it it, you know i don't know we have to go back again in a couple months because he's I'm filing. He has three counts of contempt. I'm filing for a fourth. He hasn't complied with any of the college stuff. Um, you know, and I don't know if, if she, because she doesn't even do family court every, anymore, but I don't know if we're still going to see her because we were the one case for years that is like to pulling her back in for us. But the issue too is with judges At least in New York, they'll change. They change judges, and when you have these very complex cases, Mm -hmm. that's what runs up the legal fees because the time. You know, you're in court, and somebody has to keep explaining it, and then they get frustrated, and they're like, "Ah, just settle." You know, "Oh, go back to negotiation." So I in so you know I made all this progress in Connecticut, but when I moved to New York to enforce it, Mm -hmm. we've had like 14 hearings in the part of it's COVID, but in the past year and a half because. This, the new judge couldn't get up to speed, and my ex's new attorney in New York was using one of the techniques which the Connecticut court had noted. He was, quote, creating confusion where none exists. Mm-hmm. So that is also a strategy. So his attorney in New York was saying to the new 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 York judge, oh, well, Connecticut, blah, 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 this stuff is happening. And the judge what hadn't read any of the paperwork that I submitted, because a lot of them don't. They don't have time. And, um, you know, he just, and the other, the, the, his attorney is much louder and more blustery than I am. And plus he's an attorney, I'm not. So he kept over overpowering me until finally, I think it was like the ninth hearing and all this was done over Zoom. You know, I just, I said, let's, I did like the broken record technique. We just like, let's look at the orders. Let's look at the orders. And I finally had the judge read into the record eight different orders from Connecticut. And it was like the wake up call. I think that hearing took three hours and the judge missed his next appointment. But I finally got something there. We made an agreement. There were deadlines and consequences. Of course, he broke it and new ones had to be made. But it was clear and it's on the record so it's going to take time now but now he's off the case there's a new judge coming in you know so to do it all over again but this is the kind of thing that makes people say i can't i can't deal with it anymore Mm -hmm. you know but for me i'm like having built on all the success at the trial courts in connecticut the appellate court in connecticut having the case published oh my god like the guy at the at the law library said to me this is highly unusual. Like the fact that you're pro se, you're self-represented and you won and it's being published, like that's huge. That's legal precedent. Like as long as Connecticut's a state, your case is going to be used, you know, for people to refer to. And that feels so good. So, yeah, I haven't gotten paid, but like, wow, wow. Yes. I'm so proud of you. That is an awesome
0: accomplishment. Yeah. And I'm not an
1: attorney. Like I don't know what I'm doing.
0: (laughs) But you did it. You did it.
1: Yeah. So people need to hear that there are moments and we can learn, you know, we can learn, but a lot of it is you cannot give up,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, but, but there are, you know, but you do have to decide what's really worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, what am I going for? What is my bottom line? And for me, my ex-husband has not been a father to my kids he hid assets from me during our entire marriage he took advantage of me during our entire marriage uh and i thought you know what the least he could do is pay what he agreed to pay for our two kids to go to college Mm -hmm. you know like i'm not asking for more than what was already agreed upon but the thing with these people is they're so entitled that they think they can get away with everything and he got away with everything for 20 years with me and now he's not getting away with it and like my father says the noose is starting to tighten on him mm-hmm. and he, he's the one flailing he's the one scrambling and you know we always talk about karma in this community i have been able to watch it mm-hmm. and it is really really something i mean i don't i don't hate him i don't care about him anymore mm-hmm. i hate the court system because right. it's so that's where my anger has turned to the injustice but to see what's happened to this person who always got away with everything and maybe he'll never go to jail even though on paper my orders say he's supposed to for not paying all this stuff Mm -hmm. but still he's suffering and he brought it on himself and he can't get away from it anymore now there's records there's legal documents in two states that you know that hold him accountable He has liens on his property, even if he doesn't sell it, they're there. You know, Mm -hmm. his record is being tarnished. He wants to keep fighting. It's just going to keep going down for him. You know, he's losing, he's losing and it's exhausting, Mm -hmm. but I feel like in my situation, it's worth it. And I feel like for my kids, it's worth it for them to see me fight for them and, and to win. My son, Um, who will probably hopefully be on your podcast because I'm sure he has a lot to say, but he wants to be an attorney. And I think he feels really proud of, you know, having a mother who's like fought for herself. And I actually have been told, and I think I'm going to do it when I finally get paid, but I'm (laughs) thinking of going to law school, even though I'm 50. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I've already had so much experience and success. Like, why not? Why not get the law degree? Well,
0: that's great. I think you should. I I think, you know, like even as a pro se, you have instincts. You also, you know, you're looking up case law, but you also have the instincts of what to look, what you're looking for when you're looking up the case law.
1: Yeah. Well, with the case law, though, I have to say I did have help. Like I didn't, you know, with with being successful, it's learning when to delegate. Mm -hmm. So fortunately for me, my dad, my dad and uncle are identical twins. They're both 80 now. Oh. and they're <laughs> attorneys so they are lawyers they are not litigators and they know zero about family law however you know i when i was learning how to write motions like i asked the volunteer attorneys at the courts they're not allowed to give legal advice you can do these quick 20 minute things like i think you can do it like once every two years or something like that very limited but you have a few minutes with an attorney and you, if you have a very specific Question: You can go in and say, okay, what do I do about this? And they will help you. You know, there, the law librarians have been, were really helpful when I'd say, what about this? And they, they'd they say, oh, you know, look here. So, but my dad was able to help me so much, but especially with the case law, because I, I tell him, this is what I'm thinking and he, he could look it up. I mean, I could have looked it up maybe or paid a paralegal to do it, but you know, it helped. And, and this experience, unfortunately, and fortunately has really bonded my my dad and I,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, but it's just unfortunate that that he's had to take so much time off work, you know, and I've lost so much time with, with preparing these things because, you know, with court, it's not the time in court, it's the prep.
0: It is. So it is. That's
1: what takes all the time and that's where lawyers make the most money.
0: Mm-hmm. It's all in the paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, tell me about, um, <clears throat> your, um, what's, you know, what's been there and got out. How okay. did you come up with that?
1: Okay. So, you know, everybody who goes through something like this is like, I could write a book on my life. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking long before I actually reentered the legal system, just about the crazy, you know, weird behavior, um, that I should start writing a book. And then, um, whole other story, my my love story with meeting my my current partner, um, who is a male victim of domestic violence or male, male survivor of domestic violence. We didn't know that when we got together, um, but I thought it's it's really interesting to have the male perspective. So then we thought, let's write the book together, and we we came up with the name. Actually, he gets more credit for the name for uh, "Been There, Got Out."
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so then we started pitching the idea. Um, I had written a book in the past and I thought, Oh, you know, it'd be easy to write a second book, but it turns out the publishing world has changed and you have to establish yourself as an expert in your field, not just as like an, you know, an author that did super well with their first book. So one of the editor, or sorry, one of the um, agents that we pitched it to said, you know, this strikes me as something that would be better as online education, because you're a book's going to sit on a shelf. Most people only read the first chapter, like, your audience really needs interaction. Mm-hmm. So I suggest that you start learning about online education. So we mm-hmm. we enrolled in this, you know, thing with this, I won't say his name, but like this, this thing about like how to do online education. We started building up how to start marketing, been there, got out um, as something more than just a book. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we did a website. You know, my partner Chris has a background in technology and marketing, and so he made this beautiful website. And we, I started doing an Instagram feed about two years ago, documenting what was happening to me in the court system, and it's gotten more and more of a, a, a following. Um, and I post every day about you know what's happening, not just the court stuff, but basically you know b- the domestic violence stuff. And mm-hmm. so Chris and I. Um, over the pandemic we wanted to do a lot of in person or not in person we wanted to do a lot lot of live interaction and the problem was you know with many victims of domestic violence you're still in the home with the abuser plus your kids are home from school so you have no time no privacy there's financial abuse no money so we did a couple live things but then we decided that instead especially with my background as an educator that we would record online workshops that people could download and take, you know, on their own, you know, at their own convenience. We have not marketed them yet. We did, we had like a small group that we were teaching to um, all over the world. And uh, we, you know, we, I think we have about 14 or 15 of the workshops. That's good. That's our next project. Mm -hmm. So been there, got out. Right now I think on our website we have our little mission statement as we offer hope guidance and community to people struggling to get out of and suffering in relationships with narcissists and other toxic people so that, that they can find the strength to get their sanity back. Right. And then move on from there, you know, because there's so many because for, with us, you know, we don't we not only have the male and female perspective, but we have it from beginning to like while you're still in the relationship. With me dealing with the legal system, and then the aftermath of like healing yourself, dealing with all of the issues surrounding children because we both share children with our exes, and you know um, the co-parent or parallel parenting, co-parenting, no parenting issues. There's there's just so much involved. So right now I'm focused. I, my newest little project that we just started um, is I started a legal abuse support group. Mm -hmm. because I was like, I'm so tired of my situation that I know it would be helpful to talk to other people. And in the process of doing these workshops, I did a workshop on litigation abuse or legal abuse. And I interviewed the legal director of an organization in Washington, D.C. called DV Leap. They're a nonprofit that represents people only on the appellate level Um, who have gotten bad trial court decisions, a lot of times it's domestic violence victims, to try to overturn the decisions um, and get them justice. And so I interviewed the director about this issue and she told me that in America alone, she guesstimates about 80,000 people are in situations like mine. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. And... When I posted about it just in the last couple of weeks on Instagram there's people right all over the world same stuff Africa, mm-hmm. Ireland, the UK same 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 it's a family court is a broken system mm-hmm. that these abusers are weaponizing against domestic violence victims and that mm-hmm. and that was like a big reason too that I got involved with pushing for Jennifer's law in the state of Connecticut and this whole issue of coercive control so that it will cover, what I'm dealing with for other people. So it's not just, you know, imminent threat of physical harm or physical abuse, but it covers the emotional abuse includes stalking, which was an issue with us. It includes legal abuse, which covers financial abuse, taking someone to court for years and years because you're not complying with orders or filing frivolous motions against them, having an endless custody battle, you know, where someone has to spend, however much money just to prove that they're a fit parent and lose their entire home and their life and everything. You know, I mean, there's so much involved and the people that have joined this group so far, like I said, we just have had like two meetings. We're going to try and do it we, we meet on Wednesday. Sorry. We meet on Sundays at noon uh, Eastern time because we're in New York and Connecticut. And then there were so many people signing up and I want to make sure we have the attention so that each person can talk a bit about their story that I figured I'm going to open up a slot on Wednesday nights um, at 7 PM Eastern time for any spillover. So we'll see how that goes, but it's just, you know, it's, it's just awful. And I think that, um, you know, everyone in that group so far has kids. So it's again, not one of those, Oh, just leave them and, you know, just get away. Like, yeah, that doesn't work. Um, But they're all dealing with, um, being terrified for their children. Some of their children have been sexually abused. A lot of them, certainly all of them have been emotionally abused. Some of the kids are babies and they're terrified about what it's gonna be like to deal with this toxic influence on their child's life. Um, Some of their kids are older and they're dealing with what has happened, you know, as a result of being involved in this mess. So there's there's so much to talk about. You know, I, I just was saying to the group this past week, It's a legal abuse support group. So we are talking about a lot of things with court, but the ripple effects on Mm -hmm. our lives, like one of the questions we're going to talk about is how you can start to heal when you're still in the middle of this mess. You know, there's no simple answers. And one of the things I, I tell the people in the group too is what this group can't do is offer you magic to take it away. Like there's nothing I can say to you to make it go away. So instead what can we do together to support each other throughout this this chaos so that we don't give up and we know it's not just our situation. It's not just your crazy life that nobody else understands mm-hmm. that everyone's like, that doesn't make any sense. It's court. It's a justice system. It's not, it's not, it's not justice. It's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, going through this re-traumatizes people like me and people like everyone in my group and people like everyone who has to deal with family court. It makes it so much worse. Mm
0: -hmm. What is the link
1: to get to you? Okay, so it's really easy. So our site is beentheregotout.com. That's it. That's good. That's good. And so just beentheregotout.com and our Instagram handle is the at sign and then been there got out with little um oh my god what are those underlines? Underlines, yeah yeah little underlines between like been underline there underline got underlined out and then on facebook just look up been there got out and all of them have links like on our instagram bio to the legal abuse support group um we also have this little toxic relationship quiz uh, that's free, that people can take, which, of course, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> everybody takes, like, yeah. yeah. I, I already knew. We had, like, we put it out there, and we had, like, 40,000 people take <laughs> it. Like, within a few months, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then also these courses, which we haven't publicized yet, our first one, it's so, so with the Toxic Relationship Quiz, there's, like, 33 questions. So our first course is free, and it's called Wake Up and Smell the Narcissist. Okay. <laughs> I was very proud of that name. (laughs) Excellent, (laughs) and it's got a great graphic we came up with. But that's all. That's a free class, and that basically goes through each question in the toxic relationship quiz and explains why we chose to ask that question. You know what you can learn from it, Mm -hmm. and then the next one. You know they're in a certain order, but you could do it however you want. Is the top seven dangers of toxic relationships, and there we talk about legal abuse. You know, and especially stuff with the kids people don't realize the damage it is for for children to be exposed to um, abusive relationships, you know, in in the home in particular, and all of the health, emotional and and, um, mental health effects and physical it has on them. And then we start getting into stuff um, for people that that don't quite understand abuse. So one of those courses called Common Manipulation Tactics and how to deal with them. Um, Some of these topics were things that people from our community said, can you do something on this? So another is about regaining your confidence after a toxic relationship. Then we did a really important one on safety planning. Mm-hmm. So again, this is still for people in the relationship. And with a lot of these courses, i interview experts on the topic or people who are experiencing it. So for that one, um, one of my neighbors was a, is a retired police officer he actually was the first person to start what's called the special victims unit in the police department, which became a state model and it trained police officers to deal with domestic violence issues and be much more sensitive to victims. So he talks about that in my interview with him. And he talks about techniques that people can use that they might not know to document evidence, you know, that, that can be used in court later. Um, you know we talk and there's like a bunch of other a bunch of other courses on things like that one of the, the the big things is um why it's so much harder to leave a toxic relationship than a normal one we talk a lot about cognitive dissonance so all of those workshops can be downloaded they're in like little little sound bites you know you can listen for like at like 5 to 7 minute chunks there's journal entry exercises you can do there's the interviews um you know, like I said, I used to be a high school English teacher, so I'm <laughs> I, I love yeah. interacting with students. So I tried to do it as interactive as you can on a pre-recorded course.
0: Yeah, this is awesome. People need to know about this. I'm so glad.
1: Good. Um, well, you're the first place we're publicizing it, other than our little, you know, <laughs> our little group that we called it our lifeboat course. It was like the three of those courses.
0: Oh, this is great. Well, yeah. you know, like when you were going through all of this did you have any outlets that were helpful to you? Like, I mean, like, I don't know, painting. Some people paint. Some people do macrame. Some people do some
1: type of hobby to get. Yeah. Well, I have lots of hobbies. So (laughs) I want to mention the weird, uh, a strange one while I was still in the marriage and trying to just get through the day. um, We luckily live near a beach and these horseshoe crabs, were molting. So they were losing their skin and there were all these baby horseshoe crab shells all over the beach. And so I collected them and um, I I come from a family of artists and I love doing all different types of art. And I thought, I am going to make necklaces. (laughs) <laughs> and That's it's cool. actually symbolic, I, which I didn't realize at the time, but like shedding one's skin. So I spent a lot of time on my porch that summer, polyurethaning these little horseshoe crab shells, spray painting them and putting them on necklaces while watching reruns of the series Catfish, which was from MTV like years and years ago, to help me try to make sense of my crazy situation. Because like I said, my ex-husband was having these online affairs. So Mm -hmm. I found that fascinating and very um, relaxing. Now, I also was being a therapist for myself. That was like the fourth one after all the stupid Mm -hmm. couples ones that didn't work. And she was the most helpful. Um, And my other hobbies are actually kind of active. So I love hip hop dancing and kickboxing and running. And she said, you know, Lisa, you're going to have to find some hobbies that are calmer. Because it's great, like it's great, like all that anger in the beginning too, the kickboxing. I can't tell you how how many times yes. I yeah. what I pictured.
0: Yes. Yes, definitely.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that was that was really helpful. Um, and before I get to the the next part, like by the way, physic becoming physically strong mm-hmm. and emotionally um, in- fit, you know, is necessary to to deal with. The, you know, getting out of these relationships and the legal stuff that comes after. I feel like I'm in the best physical shape of my life. And I don't think I could have done it if I, if I hadn't been, you know, like mm-hmm. you really need to become strong on every level. Mm-hmm. So I did the physical stuff. I did the horseshoe crab necklaces. I did a lot of stuff with them, mosaics and collage. And I told you before we started talking now I'm doing, um, you know, it has to practically strap me to a chair but I love doing it. I have my watercolor um, paint classes over zoom with an old friend of mine who is an art teacher and used to actually be the art director for the today show. Um, But I I love it. I love the creative outlets and I I think it's absolutely necessary. And we talk about this in, in some of our workshops too. You need to find things to do for yourself because that is also a way to rebuild your confidence. And I find that being creative brings me joy. Mm -hmm. And you need things to bring you joy in your life after dealing with this or while dealing with this. You need to have those moments that you don't depend on anyone else Mm -hmm. but yourself to just feel good, you know, and to feel like you're accomplishing something.
0: That's good. I mean, that's excellent advice. What other advice could you give someone um, going through you know, either the family court system, or now they're entering the appellate court system, what would you, what's your
1: best advice? My my best advice, I always think of the really trade expression that everyone's using now, you are not alone. So the main thing is like we, people like us in these situations, it is so extreme that most of the world just can't believe it. And in their heads, they will think it's got to be something with you because, you know, this this shouldn't happening. It shouldn't be happening. It's irrational. So understand that it it definitely is not you. And if you're an American, there's 80,000 plus people going through the same thing like you. And that what would be the most helpful is to find some of those people and to talk to them because you need to you need to you know just connecting with other people is comforting and the only way to get through anything i think especially something like this is to have is to connect with others that are in the same situation but not just going through it but people on the other side like someone like me or chris who can say you know what even though i'm still in it i've managed to find a balance with my life where yeah, it's it sucks like being involved in this, but you know, I have found like more happiness and joy than I've ever had in my life. If this hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't have met the love of my life. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have learned what healthy love really is. Mm-hmm. Coming out of this situation made me learn to grow up and make decisions for myself whereas in the past I think I let myself be led. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn you learn to develop such amazing Um, intelligence and to pay attention to your intuition like there's so many precious benefits that you reap when you get out from under like the shadow of a toxic relationship you know there's it's like it yeah it's hard it's really hard it's beyond description of how hard it is to get out of it and then to think I'm done oh but no (laughs) there's more but when you have people holding your hands you know, and they are for you and saying, like, I know what it's like. I'm here. I understand you. And we're going to get this, through this together. That's my best advice. Like, you need that. You you have a lawyer who can do... If you have a lawyer, you have a lawyer. It's not their job to hold your hand through this process. They don't want to hold your hand. They will get let go of you as a client mm-hmm. if they have to take care of you emotionally because it's, so, it's just too intense. Mm-hmm. So have the lawyer, his or her job, but you find people like our Legal Abuse Support Group or even Been There, Got Out or other people all over that, that know what you're dealing with and can comfort and support you because you need that. You need legal support, but you really need emotional support because mm-hmm. it takes a lot of strength, like I said.
0: Definitely. Well, I'm so glad you came on the show and I'd like to have your son on whenever he's ready to come on. He's ready. My daughter,
1: they both have they they gave me permission, so we'll talk about that after.
0: Definitely, and also like to have you back on as well. Sure. Okay, well that's great. It's so nice to talk and meet with you. So thank you Me for too. coming on my show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Flam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms that in turn perpetuate parental alienation. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again in the future with uh, Lisa and other guests. Thank you so much.